0: going on nba fans how are we welcome into another week of dropping dimes i'm your host matt nost and we are here to talk about uh more of the nba for another week and today i'd like to discuss basically the state of player and fan interaction expectation levels uh media criticism, and basically everything that that covers. Um, We'll get to as much as we can, and then uh, I'll get to your questions towards the end. But the reason that the idea came to mind was we have the Ben Simmons stories unfolding, and we have the Russell Westbrook stories unfolding, and then living here in Los Angeles, the criticism that the Lakers are getting and the player reaction to it. Has become a story in and of itself. Um, And it it just raises an interesting discussion as to what our role as fans are, what the players' expectation levels of what they should rightly come into contact with when they step onto that court as far as uh, interactions with fans, and also uh, the media, how the media discusses certain aspects of what goes on on the court and off the court. So what sparked this was Ben Simmons tomorrow night is going to be on the bench for the Nets when they travel to Philly. And it looks like the rationale behind that is, you know, word from his camp is that part of the reason that Ben is doing this, and I don't know how much, if it's entire the entire reason or just a small fraction of it. Part of the reason is that they want to get a record of how the fans treat Ben in that situation so that when they go to arbitration about trying to recoup his missing salary, they can use that as an example of part of the rationale of why his mental state deteriorated to the degree that it did. And I, I don't know, personally, I think that's a bogus claim. The fans are not going to be unkind. I mean, pardon me, they're not going to be kind. They're, they're going to boo, they're going to jeer, they're going to heckle him because he didn't perform well in the playoffs and then no-showed on the team. And that's to be expected you're making a tremendous salary as one of the faces of a franchise, the, the criticism that gets leveled in your direction is going to be greater than it is for guys further on down the roster. They don't carry the weight of expectations of that team like you do, hence the salary that you get. And KD has said, you know, when asked about it, I think, you know, uh, Ben will be able to handle it considering he makes $40 million a year. He can take a little bit of criticism coming his way from the fans uh, booing and whatnot. And I think the fans have every justifiable reason to do it. You were part of the process, part of the reason that they were bad for so long that they would get a high enough draft pick. Uh, Because the NBA is dominated by a select number of individuals, and you need one of those alphas if you have any championship aspirations. It is very rare, a la the Pistons in the early 2000s, to have a team that doesn't have a top 10 or top 20 player win a championship. It's exceedingly rare. So Hinckley's design of, we're going to lose as many games as we possibly can, to get a higher draft pick to increase our long term chances of getting a championship. And you, Ben, were a byproduct of that calculus. So the fans suffered through <clears throat> years of some of the worst teams you've ever s- seen. Just abysmal teams. Because the light at the end of the tunnel was we will get someone who can change the fortunes of our franchise and our city. And you were taken as a top draft pick with those expectations. And then when you didn't live up to it in the playoffs, you then don't want to suffer the criticism. And I don't think you get to have it both ways. There is no cake for you to eat too on this one, in my opinion. I mean, look at your counterpart in Joel Embiid. He was getting lambasted by the TNT crew, Chuck and Shaq, predominantly, saying, we expect more of you. If you are going to hold yourself in the same category as all the guys around you and consider yourself to be an all-NBA player and an MVP caliber player, then you need to play like it night in, night out. And Embiid has gone on the record and saying, that was motivation for me. I wanted to get better to not so much prove them wrong, but to prove them right in that if they have these beliefs of me and I do of myself, then I need to put in the time, work, and effort to justify my standing in the league. And... I have to assume it was his agents telling Ben, look, if you go and we can get this footage, we can probably get some of this salary that you uh gave up by not wanting to play for the Sixers again. And as much as I am for the players, in this instance, I really hope when it goes to arbitration and the judge looks at it, they, the judge sides with the team on this. Because it also sets a terrible precedent for the rest of the league guys can just sit out whenever they want to and still get paid. That's then what is the point of a contract? Why even sign these things? If you expect to get paid regardless of whether or not you actually show up, well, couldn't the inverse be true? Why should you be expected to be paid just because they signed a contract with you? Um, I don't know. And then on the other side of that is uh, Westbrook. And that's what really pushed me into wanting to talk about this today because he is upset with the narrative of Westbrook, the nickname that he has acquired over the course of this season. Although we've been talking about his brick potential for quite a while now. Um. So this isn't a new outcome. I think the nickname gaining traction over this season, just because he is on the league's most high-profile team, even though they're terrible, they get more nationally televised games than anybody else uh, because of the wattage of the franchise, the history of the franchise, and the players and personnel on that team. When you have the aforementioned Westbrook and you have LeBron and A.D., You have top-tier talent with name recognition, uh, especially in the case of LeBron, to non-basketball fans, which means you're going to draw more eyes. And Westbrook is saying, like, I don't want to hear that nickname anymore. And he has uh, stated that he doesn't want his family coming to games because he gets booed and heckled so much. And you feel for him. I don't want his kids... To feel bad watching their dad play because the fans boo them. But at the same time, if you don't want the nickname of Westbrick, you alone can change that. You're the only person in the world. The only one. Because guess what? Telling a group of, you know, children they shouldn't call you something. Well, they're going to continue to call it. They're probably going to amp up the amount that they call, you know, you that. And in all of this, Westbrook's wife has gotten into an exchange with Skip Bayless, and she has held herself with a composure uh that is to be commended. She has laid out her arguments as to, you know, why she has a problem with the situation at hand. And it's it's measured, it's cogent, it's uh it's very adult given the situation. Because you could easily see someone defending their spouse and just going off the rails because of the emotions uh, that are tied up in a situation like this. And her composure is to be fully commended. But unfortunately for Russ, it's like, this isn't egregious. There's a clip of Shannon Sharpe and Skip on, was it Undisputed? I don't watch it. Uh, but I did see the clip where the moderator asked Shannon to open, do you have any empathy for this situation, for Russ? And he says, no, because they're calling you Westbrook and not calling you one of a hundred other terrible racist things that they could. So it's basically put up or shut up, but you're getting paid 45 million dollars to play a game. If the worst that's going to happen is someone lobs the insult of Westbrick, that's not bad. I mean, my first thought upon watching that clip was, think of what Bill Russell had to go through during his day. Where there's still segregation in the country. Boston was not a racially harmonious town, to say the very least. Go back and, and find clips and news articles of the busing fiasco in Boston and that is brutal to read and think of all the terrible things that the black players in, in his era and previous eras had to weather. And that is egregious. There have been like, there are times where fans definitely go off the rails and go above and beyond anything that, that, is any kind of social decorum. Like Westbrook has one of the the most memorable ones to me where he's playing in Philly. I think he was still in OKC at the time. And uh, if memory serves, he got an and one. And at the baseline, this guy stands up and does double bird and just screams, you know, fuck you, right in his face. And Westbrook stops and gives him the Westbrook face and then points, looks at the ref and points at the guy and he's like, are we really okay with this? And that, to me, is like, okay, settle down, guy. Like, booing is one thing. Double birding and screaming, fuck you, you know, and from the second row right there underneath the baseline is exceedingly excessive. And Mello had this, you know, speaking of Philly, again, this is why I don't think, you know, if if Simmons is expecting a chorus of booze, that's precisely what he's going to get. Melo had that fan thrown out uh, from the Philly game for um, apparently calling him "boy." If you remember that, the guy was sitting close to courtside, and his telling of it was that was a word used in sequence. And when he says it all out, but it doesn't seem, you know, as racially infused as just extrapolating the singular word of boy out. Um, But that being said, I don't remember hearing a single account of anyone sitting next to him agreeing with his assessment of how the action was relayed. And it seemed as though most accounts were siding with Mello that I read. But, I mean, that's in Philly, and that's, you know, Utah has a history of being openly racist, brutally so, Westbrook is another example of, of that from a few years ago. I think it was 2019, um, where he's having to take these racist insults, and that is beyond a bridge too far. That is, there's, it's just disgusting. And Utah, unfortunately, has a history of this. I mean, there are numerous instances where fans cross a line and the players are right to upbraid them and get him kicked out. And in some instances, like the guy in Philly with Mellow, he is banned for life. Whether or not that sticks, who knows? Um, What was it? The, the playoff series between the Hawks and the Knicks where the fans spit on Trey Young. That's flagrantly disgusting. No place. And if a player steps up and says, hey, There's no place for that in our game, in society. Uh, You need to be taken out of the situation. We don't need you here. You're a blemish on this game. I agree. But if it's just booze and telling you you suck, well, that, that to me is fair game. That's sport. Like, look at the Kyrie's last game in Boston, where the Boston fans were chanting in unison, Kyrie, you suck, Kyrie. And what did Kyrie do? He looked down, he shook his head, he smiled, and he went out and used that as motivation to beat the Boston Celtics. I mean, they were chanting so much that uh, Tatum and Brown and other guys were telling the audience, or the crowd, rather, to quiet down, to, to cut that nonsense out. But I don't think in any way, shape, or form that that was a bridge too far. And now in the player's defense, I can't imagine what it's like to play in today's modern NBA in regards to criticism. Because the with the advent of social media, if you want to go and look at your mentions for as much praise as there might be, there's going to be so many people that are just saying the most heinous and terrible things. And then you couple that with the media cycle. Now is 24 hours a day and it's just lobbing criticism after criticism. Cause from the media's perspective, they need to come up with these clickbaity, hot button, hot take issues. They're going to drive viewership and polarize, you know, people into discussions. So, I get it if you're frustrated at the overall because it just feels like it's a tsunami of criticism nonstop. Uh, but to say that fans booing and telling you you suck is is uncordial. There's no place in our game, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, to me. Or if you're like Simmons and be like, well, this is the reason that I couldn't play here. Well, that's going to be all a sport. The moment that you underachieve in Brooklyn, they're going to boo you. I'm not saying it's guaranteed that he's going to underachieve, but there will be moments where he's not going to live up to the expectations. People are going to say, we traded James Harden for you, and this is what we got in return. And they're not going to like everything that they see out on the court from him. Um, so you're gonna to have to suffer those criticisms all over again. That is part and parcel, and you know the nature of this business. It's why you get paid an obscene amount of money. And I'm all for the players making as many dollars as they possibly can because they drive the revenue. They drive the sport without them. There would be no NBA on a global scale like this uh, because you know, the players are the face and ambassadors of the game. But with that comes, it's a, it's a, you know, two-way street. You get the praise, the accolades, the money, and you also get the criticism, the boos, and the denigration. And it happens to everybody. Look at how much criticism LeBron and Steph weather. LeBron especially. The guy is on a trajectory to be the all-time leading scorer, has innumerable records, will be top 10 Uh, And in some cases, top five in so many different statistical categories. And yet it is a never ending barrage of heckles and insults and criticism. It's never going to end. Even once he retires, he's still going to be catching strays. It's just going to happen. Because you're in this discussion of, is he the greatest of all time, which means you're going to be on the top of the mind awareness to any NBA fan for a long time, just like Jordan is. Now with the passage of time, some of that criticism will wither and die on the vine um, just because people won't have the animus and the emotion that they once did because it's a memory at this point. as opposed to living a day-to-day and the expectations of what's to come. It's all in the rear view at that point. Um, so you know the full landscape of what they did as opposed to speculating of what they could do. And that's also part of what what drives emotions. Um, but I just think, especially in Russ's case, I'm a Russ fan. It plays with an intensity and a passion that is a joy to watch for a couple seasons back in his earlier OKC days he was my favorite player in the league just that wasn't a bull but you know I float around right now it's ja who doesn't love ja i'm still upset i couldn't go see him play in uh, i think it was january because i had covid um but that does you know you're going to have to take some of these criticisms man it is inevitable Uh, It is part of the game. If you don't like Westbrook, only you can change that. Be more judicious as to when you take your shots and selective. Um, Don't hoist as many threes. You know, I don't know what to do. Find your sweet spots. Get to the lane more and more and more. Drive winning as much as you possibly can on the Lakers and be part of the solution as opposed to the menagerie of problems that, that team has. Uh, so anyway, that's, that's what I wanted to, you know, discuss on the opening. Now I'm going to move over to your uh, comments in the live chat. And thank you everybody for tuning in in the live chat. I can't wait to see you guys have cooked up for me today. Um, we're getting towards the end of the season which there's less than 20 games left for everybody. And we're seeing a lot of jockeying for position. It'll be really interesting how this all uh, shakes out, um, especially for some of the more hot button teams like Brooklyn, because right now, like their opening round game for the play-in would be in Toronto, which means no Kyrie, unless somehow Toronto changes their vaccine uh, mandates in the next month or so. Um, roughly thereabouts I don't foresee that happening so there's a whole bunch some teams are in a bit of a free fall other teams are ascending how this is all going to shake out is going to be very very interesting um just because you don't want question marks popping up now of all times when it comes to the end of the season uh you know I'm looking at you warriors And then certain teams, like, they've really figured out exactly who they are. Um, So we're going to jump over to the chat. Chris Quevedo Jr. says hello. Hello, Chris. Uh, Jordan Anderson, do you think Kevin Durant will ever be as good as he once was, or will his career continue to decline because of the injuries? Should the Nets look to trade him? I don't – at this point when I watch him, I don't see decline. Yet he does have injuries now that have kept him out. That Achilles, obviously, but that last knee one was kind of a freakish. You know, his teammate rolled into his knee. Was it Claxton? I think it was Claxton rolled into his knee and hyperextended that MCL or whatever the specific injury was and kept him out. That could happen to anybody on any night. Um, and when he's out there, he is still wildly effective. The fact of the matter is, given his size and skill set, he can play for a long time. Um, it's part of the reason like LeBron's career has extended so long. It's a, He's taking care of his body and his health is always one out by and large. Things are starting to catch up with him now, but it's understandable given the number of minutes and miles he's got. But simultaneously he worked on his game to extend his range. So he didn't have to continue to barrel into the lane. Um, And KD already has that in his bag. He can shoot from anywhere on the floor. He is a threat at all times with the ball. So even if he loses his drive and whatnot, He's still going to be a wildly effective player from mid-range and three-point. So, no, I don't think the Nets should trade him as of right now. Um, I really think they need to see what they've got next year because this year's a wash. They're not going to—I mean, you never know. And once they get in the playoffs, if New York changes their mandate and Kyrie can play every game— Maybe they could make a first-round upset. I don't know. But, you know, Joe Harris is officially out for the season, and they've got a problem at the five. And I don't know what exactly they do, because when you watch them, you're like, what is your your optimum lineup right now? And they haven't even seen what they have in Ben Simmons yet. So if you're excluding Ben Simmons and they don't have – a stout five defense is going to be a real problem for him. At least with Simmons in there, you might be able to, you know, be a little more flexible as to some of the lineups because he should be able to defend more, uh, you know, types of guys through various positions and sizes. So it'd give you it free up your ability uh, to substitute in certain individuals, like play a smaller lineup out there with Curry uh, or Mills in conjunction with Kyrie and uh, KD. So if you have like those four plus Simmons, well, Simmons then is your de facto five-ish on defense. Uh, and it increases your switchability on some level, but Curry and Mills, especially Curry, aren't really known for their defense. Neither is uh, Kyrie. So you're expecting Simmons and KD, to paper over a lot of your flaws, it's possible, but it's going to be really difficult. And they don't have an answer for Embiid, which is going to be their biggest, if they are going to make some sort of noise there or the depth of, say, Miami. And then if you go up against Boston, can you really ask KD to play stout defense and Help lead the team on the offensive charge when him and Simmons would have to match up with Tatum and Brown and then force the Celtics to say anybody else, you know, can beat us. But if those two are there, then who's on time, Lord? Does that mean then you got to have Aldridge or Claxton in there? Because Blake Griffin isn't going to play any meaningful minutes as of right now. He looked like a shell of a shell of his former self, Um, which is crazy. He came from Detroit, suddenly he was rejuvenated, and that rejuvenation is com- is completely gone. Um, and just like that, he's going to be out of the league pretty quickly. Uh, but no, I, I would hold on to KD for the time being. I think KD still has incredible value, and you can build a championship roster around him. Um, all right, moving on. Jeremy Bowers, thank you for the compliment. And he is responding to Jordan Anderson's question. Uh, TJ Martino says, if it's just a game, then play for free. I mean, I don't know what how to respond to that because there's so much money involved. Like, but I don't... I'm not sure exactly what to make of that. Um, Jay Cleveland said, seeing Jackie Moon was the highlight of my night. Yeah, if you guys didn't see, Jackie Moon showed up with the Warriors at the Chase Center in San Francisco and uh, warmed up with the team. Did a lot of drills with Clay Thompson. And it's funny to see Jackie in his headband and afro sticking out, and then there's Clay with his headband and I wouldn't call it afro. It's a slightly longer hair. But it's a modern-day equivalent of Jackie Moon going back. But Jackie was helping Clay on his warm-up running, playing defender, and uh, doing some some shots. Uh, yeah, it was fun. I watched uh, clips of that, like the initial him warming up and then uh, doing the drills with uh, Clay Thompson's. Um. So T.J. Martino says, Simmons should have been cut. You don't come to work, you get fired. He, yeah, but contracts involved, and if you hold on to him, you can get something for him, which they got Harden. Um, I understand what you're saying, but the economics of the business side of it just dictated that that was never going to happen. Um, Jordan Anderson says, what do you think the Phoenix Suns' chances of winning championship are? They have the best record in the league right now. Look, and when CP went down, and then Book was going to be out. He's going to be back now, but he missed four games because of COVID protocols. Um, I was concerned that given the charge of the Grizzlies, could they slip out? Granted, the the games difference is still huge. They're up by a wide margin. It's eight games right now over the second place Memphis Grizzlies and eight and a half over Golden State. But if they only went, you know, played 400 ball over these last while CP is out and then Book was out, they could slip down these standings. But Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, and the rest of the roster has stepped up and they're winning games where I was fearful that they might lose Uh, and now Book is back and they look like. The best team in basketball. They have for a long time. Um, can CP come back and be instantly CP? Well, if anybody could, and given what exactly his skill set is on the court, because it's not like he's going to uh, out-athleticize, if that's a phrase. Anybody? He's It's his mind that is going to beat you. So an injury like his that takes him out for a while. It was to his thumb. Um, When he comes back, you know, him being a floor general and setting everything up and dictating the pace and the sets that they run, that comes from him surveying the floor, understanding what the defense is throwing at you and countering that. Um, And that's something that he excels at. He's one of the best that I've ever seen. To do that and in the west you know it really comes down to which teams have which teams know their personnel the best and know one through eight to possibly one through nine what their rotation is going to be who the best players are what their crunch time five is going to be um and phoenix definitely has that there's a few teams below them that I think the hierarchy of what everybody does on the team is fully understood Memphis, Dallas and Denver being the most obvious. You could say you could throw Utah in that. I think the Warriors in a bit of disarray and by bit of, I think that's me being kind and generous. um, Just because at this point, I almost feel like, Clay should cede his minutes to Jordan Poole because he's not at 100%. And I realize everything he's given you in the past, but for this season, if you have championship aspirations, Jordan Poole is playing better basketball right now. Um, But the fact that Phoenix top-down knows precisely what they are, uh, I think they have the most legitimate shot to win championship. I think they're the odds-on favorite. Um, you know, they'll have matchup problems with various teams, but given their flexibility overall and the personnel that they have, I think they can weather just about anything you could throw at them. Um, so unless an injury creeps up in the playoffs and CP is prone to get injured towards the end of seasons and in the playoffs, but if he can stay healthy, uh, I think they have an excellent chance. Hands down the best in the league. They've been the best team pretty much the entire season and they're still continuing to prove it. So the only way to cap this off is to win a championship. Um, So oh, Jake talking about Westbrook's wife saying skip blocked her on Twitter and that actually wasn't true. And Bayless responded to her about that. Or is that not true? Um, Skip said he's never blocked anybody. I don't know that the validity of, I didn't see a screen cap of her because some people do that when they're blocked, and they you can screen cap and then show that to the world. I just saw the interactions uh, back and forth, so perhaps she provided uh, uh, evidence of that, but I didn't see it. Um, TJ Martino, DJ, are you a Philly fan? Oh, okay, there it is, because he keeps talking about basically if you paid me as much money as Simmons. I could take that criticism. Um, and then eventually says, us Sixers fans are going to file a grievance against the bum Simmons for his performance in the Hawks series. Um, yeah, you could file a grievance about a, a couple different playoff series that you've had with Simmons. Um, but I think the wisest thing for you guys to do is to do what MSG did with Trey Young, which is coordinate the chance but keep the chance positive that way. If they want to take that, the fan interaction tomorrow night into arbitration, it makes it null and void. Be like, well, we were overly positive to him. Here's a, here's a massive example of 15,000 people coming together saying, hurrah. It's great to see you, Ben. How are you? Um, Yeah, so long as you guys don't get callous and aggressive with your booze and you just keep it to booze, I think you could still win it. If it gets downright nasty, then he might be able to recoup some of that money. Um, And I'm one of the rare times I'm siding with ownership on this because I think you have to honor the contract that you sign. You can demand a trade, but you still show up, even if you half-ass it like Harden did in Houston, and then half-ass it again towards the end of the Nets run. You're still out there affecting something in the game. Could be losing. And, you know, your legacy will suffer that, which is really going to be interesting for Harden. If you guys don't make it to a championship and or win a championship, what will we be saying about Harden in 10 years? He's got a lot to prove. It's got a lot to prove. And then at the do you give them the mega extension and all that stuff opens up in the offseason? I don't think I would personally. Um, but that's just me. Um, okay. So some, some inner chat uh, discussions. And then uh, Jake Cleveland says, I believe right now, uh, and Yuri uh, Yuri McGurley I, I do see you there, buddy. Uh, Jake Cleveland says, I believe right now the Jazz are facing the Mavs in the first round. Who would you favor more in that series? I think the Mavs. By jettisoning Porzingis, it solidified their roster and coalesced the team around the idea that we have one star. As opposed to one star and one guy who's held the promise and the draft pedigree of being a number one option but that's never really translated over the course of a full season. And it doesn't matter at this point who you put on Luka because he's going to get his. I think the most jarring thing is with that last game, I watched them play the Lakers, and he was calling for the switch to get LeBron on him. That's the state of LeBron on defense at this point. Can he still do it for sporadic uh, possessions throughout a game? Of course, for the entire duration, no chance. Um, Which is just so weird because he was an apex predator for so long. Um, And now to see Luca hunting him on screens to try and get the switch that he wants. But I just... I think that if you you sowed enough discord between Gobert and Mitchell, that team is just as likely to implode as they are to win a a game. Um, There's a lot of dysfunction. I mean, Utah, no idea if this team is going to be the same parts next year as it is this year. I have no idea. The only thing I know is they're committed to Mitchell. So, Gobert, you better fall into line. Otherwise, I'm not entirely sure what the market is going to be like for Gobert out there. Uh, somebody will take him. But, Rudy, you either help make this work or you're going to have to be you know, looking for homes in a new market. And I think that uncertainty within the team, the fact that they have a track record of flaming out in the playoffs, and potentially will be looking at themselves in those crunch time moments with hesitation as opposed to certainty. And the Mavs just haven't been there yet, and I believe that actually will benefit them because they don't have the history of failing at that stage consecutive years whereas Utah carries those burdens because it's roughly the same team that's been there doing it together and failing and not fulfilling the promise that they've shown during the regular season. So I favor the Mavs, if it were to shake out as it is right now. Now, Utah's I mean roughly holding their own, but they only have a half-game lead on the Mavs. That's another thing, too. The Mavs could easily jump them, and then suddenly they have home court, But I think there's also an outside chance that Golden State slips to four. And does that mean then the Mavs jump into three and you'd have Golden State versus Utah? But I think Utah could slip and Denver could continue to rise. You could see Utah at six, potentially Golden State at four, and then Dallas or the Nuggets in the three and five spots. So in that instance, if it's Utah down to six, Dallas jumps to three. Well, we still have the same thing all over again. But it's, once again, still at home for Dallas. I favor Dallas. The the matchups as they exist right now, Phoenix and Memphis don't know who they're playing. It'd be Golden State-Denver. It's going to be really tough for Golden State because you're asking a lot of uh, Kevon Looney if Draymond isn't back to try and do something to stop Jokic. But Golden State has more firepower. Uh that'd be a hell of a first round matchup and then the Utah Dallas one, yeah. That'd be that that'd be I mean, those are two great series right there. And the East is gonna be a boatload of fun. I mean there are legitimately eight teams in the East that I think could make a decent amount of noise. In the West I think it's mm, six, maybe seven. Um So TJ Martino says Harden and Doc will be the Mike and Phil of choking in the playoffs. Wow, as a Sixers fan saying that. Um Maybe we can work that out, TJ. Um Yeah, my <clears throat> question I was having this discussion on Saturday uh with all the guys that I play basketball with and I'm the only really stout disbeliever in the Sixers. I'm not sure that they can win a championship. And for this very specific reason, Embiid and Harden shoot so many free throws. And during the regular season, free throws are a large component of their offensive game that you see every year. The refs swallow their whistles and you're not going to get probably like 40% of the calls that you would get in a regular season game and late game situations. You're definitely not going to get the call um, possibly in like a game one or a game two, but as the series progresses, it's, it's going to take something just wildly egregious for them to call a foul really late in the game. If, if the game itself hinged on a possession or two possessions, it's going to be tough to do. So when you're, you know, Embiid is second in free throws overall and Harden is fifth in free throws overall attempts per game. So between the two of them, just like you have, it means the bulk of your offense, bulk is probably strong, but still a chunk, a large chunk of your offense is predicated upon getting to the free throw line. That's going to take a hell of a hit. So suddenly when you're not getting, Instead of Embiid getting 14 free throws a night and James getting 10 free throws a night, Embiid is now getting seven free throws and James is getting four. Well, you just left 10 points on the board, or how many ever that is. Are you going to be able to make that up? Is Tobias Harris going to be able to step up? Is Danny Green going to be able to step up? The loss of Curry, is that going to hurt them if they need an extra shooter out there? Um, Thibel is awesome. But if you need Thiebel to get you a bucket, unless it's a dung, I'm not sure I trust him to shoot anywhere just yet. Do I think he has the the talent to potentially develop that over time? Yes, I do. Um, it's just, it's tough for me to envision that being a, a formula right now. But I could be wrong. They got a, a, that's a lot of talent. And they're not exceedingly top heavy like the Nets were with Harden where it's like we have these three guys and then we filled in with minimums underneath. Um, so they have a more balanced lineup overall. And another thing to worry about with the Sixers is the backup big. That's, that's where they've gotten murdered in the playoffs in the past. It's like whenever Embiid has to sit and they need to put someone else in, they get crushed in those minutes. And so much so, what was it? Uh, God, I can't remember who it was against. But they end up losing the game by two points. And Greg Monroe was the backup. And they were plus 10 with Embiid on the floor and minus 12 with Monroe on the floor for the minutes Embiid had to sit. And they end up losing the game by two points. And just like that backup big situation is going to be really key because as much as you want to keep charging, I would also kind of be pulling the reins uh, a little bit on him beat to try and get him rest. So we don't gas him. Um, him and hard. Harden's got a history of being gassed come playoff time. Although you could say that he wasn't trying at his full potential uh, during the last, how many ever games with the nets. So, He's not as in need of rest as he would have been in his Rocket years. But Embiid is prone to missing games. And uh, so far this year has been better on that scale for him. But I would be concerned. Their backup big situation is tenuous. So it's just the free throws plus that... They have depth at other positions, but not at that one. And, you know, shipping out Andre Drummond, of course you do that deal. You 100% do that deal because you're getting James Harden in return for, in essence, a guy who was not suiting up for you in Ben Simmons. Like, this is a no-brainer move on your part. I get it. Um, But to lose Drummond and Curry does reduce some of your depth And to reiterate again, at that big uh, position. Um, So Michael Hollenbeck says you can't win a championship because all he tried to do is get fouled and make free throws. It's not all they do, but they they do it quite a bit. It does piss me off with Embiid. Harden, I've made my peace with it. Um, It's not as bad as it once was, but it's still not fun to watch. And then Embiid, I think 80% of his free throws are deserved. And the other 20% are him flopping. Like there's against the Bulls, him and Tristan Thompson on the free throw line tussling. And when he flopped to the ground, it's like, dude, you are, you are so huge that there is no chance in hell. Like someone, you know, brought it up on Twitter to me. It's like, well, Giannis is leading the league in free throws and you don't have a problem there. And to me, Giannis' free throws to me are a byproduct of his game. He barrels into the lane. He is trying to force the defense to stop him. Um, So, of course, he's going to draw fouls. And he stands up to the contact. He is more than happy to mean mug and take a hit and try and finish. Um, Whereas to me, Embiid's free throws are a component of his game. It's something that at times he is most definitely hunting for, which is a wise strategy. It really is. Daryl has beat that into his head, and he was already on that trajectory beforehand. It's just there's about 20% of the fouls when I watch him, which is like, oh, man, you are so much bigger than that person. Or in the case of Trist- Tristan Thompson, it's like you – this. there's no way he hit you or pushed you that hard with his offhand – that you had to fly backwards. It's like it's it's ridiculous, and the refs rewarding you is unfortunately discouraging. Um, that to me is the difference. Um. So uh, Nazir Muhammad says Sixers fans so said thank you for hardened at Thursday night game. Um, I'm not sure what you mean by that, Nazir, but. Uh, moving on. Oh, we got a little more inner, uh, inner chat discussion. Jake Cleveland says Harden and Embiid need to fix their diets. Uh, Embiid, I think pretty much, you know, he's, he's done quite a bit to remedy his, I mean, he used to eat like shit, but find me an 18 or 19 year old kid that doesn't. Like I, I tried when I was that age just because I knew um, that it was a recipe for disaster. But at the same time, I still would eat, order pizza at two in the morning, you know, on a Friday night, quite a bit. So it's easy to, especially too, it's like their metabolisms are going so strong, so fast. Uh, whereas with Harden's like, yeah, he's, he's gotten a little chunky. Um. so Nazir Muhammad says, I completely understand because in the playoffs, players get different types of calls and fouls um. and fouls go down. Yeah. And I think that's rightly so let the players decide this, not the refs, let the game figure itself out as opposed to, as opposed to us manipulating the outcome. And I'm not saying they're overt on it. This isn't a Donahue. And Scott Foster situation, uh, never proven with Scott Foster, but uh, where there's smoke, there's cheating. Um, But yeah, they just, you're not, it's rare where the refs have an undue influence on a playoff game. It does happen, but it's not, it's not like the regular season where the refs can take over and change the complexion of a game by, trying to stop the chippiness and ejecting guys throwing coaches, which once again can happen in the playoffs, but it's just a much rarer occurrence. Now it could be because the sample size is smaller given there are fewer regular or uh, playoff games compared to the regular season, but watching enough playoff games, you just know they're not going to call certain fouls when you see it. Um, and it's a better product in my opinion to watch. I think we all enjoy it more. Um, So Mike Hallenbach says Zion needs to fix his diet. And then Jay Cleveland says, I agree Zion should lose weight, especially with his knees, as Matt Matt has mentioned in the past. Um, Yeah, they're saying the physiology, too, of how his hips, knees, and ankles align. They had to reteach him, like, how to motor around and whatnot to reduce the tension and pressure on his joints, uh, try and line things up correctly which can make a difference i mean look at steph retrained himself and has saved his ankles because that was that's why the warriors got him on a discount contract and were able to afford kevin durant when he came onto the open market is because at that point steph was an undervalued asset because he'd had the ankle injuries before he had learned to correct them uh, through different training regimen so he signed an extension at below where his value could have been had he managed to stay healthy. Um, but yeah, I think Zion, there were the pictures of him where he had ballooned up, but then the most recent pictures I've seen of him looks like he's slimmed down and he's back with the team. They're making a push. They can make it to ninth in the West, possibly eighth. I think that might be a tall order, but they can make it to ninth pretty easily. Um So Yuri McGarley says hardens body fat is deliberate. More cushion for the free throw pushing. Good for you. Uh I mean, possibly, possibly. Maybe there's some motivation. They can take more hits, but it also reduces the conditioning and stamina. Um, you would assume at least, because usually when people put on weight, those are their two primary things that are affected. And um So there it is. I think that's enough for one day, um, 55 ish minutes. I think we're good to go by the time I wrap up here. Uh, thank you to everybody that joined in the chat. It was a lively chat today and I appreciate it. Um, next week we'll be inching closer and closer to the playoffs. So get ready. Um, I may amp up, the release of these uh for the once the playoffs start because i'm going to be watching the games pretty religiously last year i think i only missed one game uh in the bubble i think i watched damn near everything like uh, i make it a point pisses my wife off but i make it a point to try and watch every game um so yeah i'll let you know my schedule's pretty busy right now um so i'm not sure if i can carve out the time on the other days of the week when I'm not recording, uh, just cause I got a bunch of projects right now coming up that I'm gonna have to dedicate time to that, but I'll let you know, we'll keep you posted. Uh, I think that's it for me this week. You can follow me at Matt Nost anywhere. If, um, Oh, Adrian Marillo says saw an undisputed. The 76ers might try and get be on the office and you think it will happen. I-, I saw that too. I haven't looked into it yet. Um, he did shut himself down with the surgery and the wizards are going to more than likely offer him the super max. I don't know how they get it done. If he wants to play with them, unless he's willing to leave that money on the table and leave in free agency. And then what the Sixers will have left over as far as money to afford a free agent like that. Uh, I'd be curious. I don't think they can get to a number of rivals, anything that the wizards could pay them and potentially what other teams could pay. Um, especially if he's willing to do a sign-and-trade. There are other team options that could potentially work better. Um, but I'll be intrigued because that's the first I've heard of that. It seems like Beal was going to sign his extension and stay with the team. So only time will tell, but the offseason is quite a ways off. We'll see. Uh, and if the Sixers don't – if they flame out, it looks like a Beal might be the upgrade that they need, possibly. Quite possibly. Maybe they do a a Tobias Harris to try and get close to the salary matching and then something else. And then Tobias's contract will be expiring sooner. I don't know how many years are left on that. I want to say two, Um, but that's off the top of my head. I'm not entirely sure. But anyway, that's it for me this week. Uh, Thanks to everybody that tuned in. Um, If you haven't, leave a comment, like the video. Uh, subscribe to the channel if you're listening on the podcast. Leave a review on Apple or Spotify, thoroughly appreciate it. And uh, subscribe to the podcast. And that is it. I'll see you guys next week for, with a little bit more NBA discussion as opposed to flan, uh, fan and player interaction for the opening 20 minutes of this. Uh, because the playoffs are right around the corner and things are about to get interesting and serious. And we're going to see who is going to be playing who very shortly here. So, that is it for dropping dimes. Stay safe out there. I'll see you guys real soon. Adios.